I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the truckers. It's not over yet. Victor Avila, Texas Land Commissioner candidate, joins me in studio. AOC demonstrates her de-stressor. Even the New York Times scorns CDC secrecy and school board hypocrisy on video. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk with you today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I've seen all sorts of headlines and comments on social media and all the social media platforms. Canada has fallen. Canada has fallen. And they're really talking about the vote in Canada's parliament yesterday to support Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as he wanted an extension, the support of the parliament in Canada for his emergency authorization. And many people thought, you know, it's kind of an odd thing to have to continue the emergency around the truckers, but indeed the parliament, by a fairly close vote, but the parliament supported Justin Trudeau. So people are saying Canada has fallen. All I want to say about that is it's not over yet. It is just not. I talked yesterday in the show about how Canada's founding, the founding ideas of Canada are not the same as America. You know, they have more of a um, tolerance for government control. They don't have kind of a foundational commitment to individual liberty that America has from our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. So, you know, Canadians have a little different feel about things. However, however, as facts begin to dawn on Canadians, as they will dawn and have been dawning people around the world, I still maintain that even though the truckers have now been dispersed and they've been sent on their way because they uh, were subject to the emergency authorization that Justin Trudeau put in place, the spirit of Canada has been awakened. And I'll, on a couple of points, on really specific factual points, people in Canada are more awake than they used to be. First factor, among the truckers, even according to the government, 90% of them were vaccinated already meaning that they weren't really protesting for themselves. They weren't saying we are trying to protect ourselves. They really had a bigger message about freedom. They had a message that said to the government, enough is enough, two years uh, to live in Canada has been more repressed than America in terms of regulations about when you can leave your home and mask wearing and business closing and social distancing. Uh, far more, uh, my word is tyrannical, whatever you say, far more repressive of the people. But also in Canada, it just occurred over the weekend, I had actually been talking with a woman, I met a woman at a um, conference for talk show hosts, and she was able, she's in contact with the pastor who's from Poland, who has a church in, Can in Canada, Pastor Polowski. Um, and you may have heard this gentleman's name, he's a Polish uh, pastor, and he, during the course of COVID regulations, when churches were shut down, he wouldn't stop holding services and his church members actually tried to block the door when the Canadian forces arrived at the front door of his church. And then when they arrived, they were trying to say essentially that they had, they want to force the people in his church to wear a mask. And he's saying, you know, I don't make them wear a mask. This is the church and we're free to do what we want. 
He's been arrested numerous times. He's a great guest. And so I had asked this woman I met, you know, could she help me get him on the show? She's absolutely. So we've been texting back and forth. Well, she sent a long text yesterday basically saying that they had hoped after his most recent arrest uh, for basically not complying with government regulations in his church related to COVID that he would be uh, again charged and released and be sent on his way. And then she could begin arranging interviews with him. Well, it turns out the Canadian authorities are now holding him holding him in solitary confinement until his trial date. And it really struck me how parallel this is to what the forces in Washington, D.C. did with respect to January 6 protesters. What the Canadian government is saying to Pulaski is, you know, it's not just that. And to be really clear, Pulaski is not forcing anyone to come to his church. He's not forcing anyone in his church to not wear a mask. He's respecting individual freedom and he's demanding respect for freedom of religion. So just as in Canada, where the government has now said, because you just will not comply with our dictates, he's being held in solitary confinement, very, very troubling. There's a big movement afoot uh, for people around the world to demonstrate outside of the Canadian embassies in their country and say, stand up, you know, free Pastor Pulaski, which of course should happen. Um, and so she was texting to say, going to have to hold off on that. But it really struck me, it's the same kind of thing in America where the uh, January 6th committee in Washington, when they found people got inside the Capitol on January 6th, some of them committed no crime except, uh, in fact, almost all of them committed no crime except what the government is now calling trespass or parading without a license. That was what people were charged with for getting inside the Capitol on January 6th. Many of those people being held in solitary confinement now for months in solitary confinement. What you're seeing is an attitude out of the government that says, we are the ruling class, we have issued the edict, and nobody better mess with us. And this idea in Canada, especially, I, I mentioned how the truckers are all vaccinated, the entire Canadian population, the vast majority are vaccinated. There's very little pushback. So it's not like the country is refusing to comply with vaccinations. Many, many people, vast majority, got the first shot, got the second shot, got the jab, got the uh, booster. I'm getting at the point, the people in Canada aren't really fighting against the government. And so why the government has to be so um, extreme in terms of, I'm sorry, I have a new ear thing today. It doesn't seem to want to stay in place. Sorry about that. Anyway, I really want to um, urge you to think about the parallels to that, what's happening in January 6th committee, and then what's happening in Canada. It's an attitude of governance that is causing people to want to rise up and speak up as we the people. Now moving to America very quickly and wrapping up our first five. So we do have upcoming next week, we have on March 1st, the planned um, first State of the Union by he who uh, occupies the White House, Joe Biden, is going to give his State of the Union. There are now trucker convoys, same message, trucker convoys now heading to Washington. And I, I saw a statement by one I want to share in closing out the first five, and that was this. This convoy, this trucker's convoy, one, by the way, and one of them, just one of them alone, uh, heading out of Los Angeles and heading to D.C., has 38,000 trucks. I mean, that's a lot of trucks. There's a lot of miles of trucks headed to Washington, D.C. And the message of one of these people was, you know, this isn't just because we want all of the COVID mandates to end. It isn't just because we want to have, you know, no more mask mandates and no more vaccine passports. That's part of it. But they were talking about the larger sense among truckers and American citizens. We want a renewal of the message to Washington that we the people are right here. It's our country. We the people are right here and we don't want, in addition to all the things related to COVID, 
We don't want parents accused of being domestic terrorists for showing up at the public schools to challenge some of the school board's rules relating to kids' behavior. We don't want parents labeled as domestic terrorists. We don't want to have the Department of Homeland Security, which last week issued a bulletin, as we've been over in the show a few times, and I'm repeating it again today for emphasis. The Department of Homeland Security actually issued a bulletin last Monday saying that essentially people who engage in speech who either challenge the outcome of the, of the uh, elections in 2020, the November 2020 elections, or, or who challenge the government's policies related to COVID, these people are potentially to be considered domestic terrorists. I am not exaggerating or interpolating. I'm telling you exactly what the DHS said in their memo. And that's part of what the truckers are realizing. This whole sense of, you know, we're not going to agree over an, an incremental way, uh, watching our freedoms be taken away, watch, wait, watching our freedom of speech being taken away, watching the freedom of our to live our lives um, taken away. And so it's a bigger message to Washington, and it couldn't come at a better time, as we have been talking about in the show, the, mar- the American left has pretty much fully embraced Marxism. And so you now have the people rising up in this free country saying, you know, we don't like what we see. We're not going there. And we want to stand up and fight back. We want to stand up and tell you that we in America still believe in freedom and you're going to hear from us. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. So I mentioned the show, uh, we have uh, a guest joining us. He's in studio, Victor Avila. You may recognize his name. He's been on the show before when he was here to share his book with you. Um, And now he is a candidate for Texas Land Commissioner. And uh, I will tell you that everyone, if you're not in Dallas area, there was a, um, an event last night that I would have been asked um, to moderate. It was all the candidates for the Texas Land Commissioner. So I'm being very forthcoming in saying, I had this interview set with Victor Avila long before I knew I'd be invited to do that panel. And so I did conduct a panel. There were six candidates there. They were all, it was very well attended, all great uh, candidates, great answers, really substantive discussion. Um, but I, Victor had been lined up ahead of time and on this show, and he has been a friend, and he is also someone whose uh, defense of the border I deeply appreciated in an era where even some Texas officials aren't too excited about defending the border, uh, where, of course, uh, the Biden administration has pretty much abandoned the border. So I want to have us all say hello to Victor Avila. Hi there. Hi, Debbie. Nice (laughs) to be back. Nice to see you, sir. Nice to have you here. So, uh, you know, I didn't give much of your background, and I don't want to do the whole long story, but I'd love to have you tell just briefly your background as it relates to the border. Absolutely. I'm a retired ICE Homeland Security Investigation Special Agent. Uh, worked most of my career of 20 years on the border, not just on the Texas side, but also on the Mexican side. 11 years ago, uh, last week, uh, there was the 11th anniversary of the ambush that Agent Zapata and I suffered at the hands of Los Cetas cartel, where Agent Zapata was killed. I was shot three times and miraculously survived. So I bring the first-hand knowledge as I've seen the evil that we face on the border uh, from the cartels in particular, with the human trafficking, the human smuggling, the drugs, the fentanyl, the methamphetamine uh, that keeps on pouring through that wide open border. And I have some information for you to share with you today about what's happening down there because the cartels have become um, very used to not being uh, interdicted at this time. Since last year, all of a sudden, they got very uh, used to not having a lot of law enforcement take down their loads. You know, it's always been part of the, uh, the cat and mouse game but there hasn't been the cat lately on, on, the, on, the, on our side. And so now they don't like their human smuggling loads to be taken down or their drug loads to be seized. 
and they want to retaliate against U.S. law enforcement, and they're making a lot of threats about it. So when you say they, these are the drug cartels in Mexico? Yes. Making threats against our true, our border people. So they started making the, the big first threat was a couple of months ago in, on the Juarez side, on the other side of El Paso, Texas, where they put up a big banner saying that the bullets will go through the river, the bullets do, do go through the wall. And as you know, they have already shot at our border patrol agents. And luckily none of them have been injured. The last one was about, I think, uh, a couple of weeks ago where they shot at them down in the Rio Grande Valley and some of the border patrol agents were able to shoot back. But my point here is, it's not just the border patrol agents, it's our sheriffs, it's our DPS troopers that are also there uh, taking down a lot of these human smugglers and traffickers. And the cartel is not putting up with it and they will retaliate. The last thing I wanna see is bloodshed on our border or on our river, but we're at a point where it's a bubble that's gonna burst and something's gotta give. Okay, I wanna go back to something you said because I had not heard this. The cartels in, in Mexico, on the Mexico side of the border, are putting up banners announcing that we're that wa their bullets will go through the water. They, yes. They're going to shoot at our agents. Directly have said, uh, stop messing with our loads of humans, of drugs. We will shoot uh, Border Patrol agents. The, they say the river will not stop the bullets and the wall will not stop our bullets. Absolute direct threats. Well, so it's, a, it's really, it's a bizarre word to use for it. It's like a sense of entitlement on the part of the, of the uh, <laughs> cartels, the criminals, the drug traffickers, the human traffickers. We're entitled to permeate your border, to penetrate your border, and, and you better not be stopping us. Basically, that's what they're saying, right? And that's the, 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 the word is entitlement because it doesn't, it, it spills from the, from the cartels down to the illegal aliens coming in. Uh, in my career, I, I, I've seen the shift from I'm coming over to work versus I'm coming over to see what you can give me. And that's what you're seeing lately. But I'm not really concerned about that right now. I'm concerned about the national security and public safety of the state of Texas. And the cartels are a national security issue for us because they're dealing with China. China's providing them with all the precursors and chemicals to make all these drugs, the, the counterfeit pills, uh, the methamphetamine that is uh, all around our police departments, I talked to Dallas police, San Antonio police, Houston police, methamphetamine is the number one problem they have associated with crime. Um, and so police officers being killed at the hands of illegal aliens in Houston, in Mesquite, Texas, uh, a 13-year-old little girl raped by a Mexican national illegally present in our country, a 14-year-old raped in her home in St. Paul, Minneapolis. This is the problem that I... I have, and that's why I'm running for this important position, to finally disrupt what is happening down at the border. There's absolutely lawlessness down there. There's no law, there's no uh, immigration law being enforced. Forget that. That's gone out the window a long time ago. But there's also no other laws like, for example, child endangerment. We had a, uh, uh, an illegal alien woman give up her child to the cartel to be smuggled. This is one of the things that they do. Luckily, they, the, the child was abandoned. And luckily, Border Patrol were, was able to find her and reunite her with the mother. But here's the problem. They gave the child back to the mother. Yeah. If, if that would happen in the state of Texas, CPS would be all over. You'd, you'd be under arrest. Child. You'd be under arrest. Because yeah. that's, that's against the law to do that. But if you're illegal, that doesn't apply to you. Just like getting on an airplane without any ID. That, these are the rules that only apply to U.S. citizens and not to illegal aliens. Okay, I do want to get to the land commissioner position for which you're running in just a moment. But I want to go back to this border thing one more time. 
Normally, what the border should have, we ha and we have had in place in the past, is something along the lines of, I'll just tell my line, something along the lines of, when you try to cross the American border, the U.S. border to Mexico or any other border, you are stopped and you're asked, you know, somehow do you have the legal right to be here, or you have a day pass, you have a working, some, some legal permission, or are you here to apply because you believe you're, you're, you can be uh, categorized as a, a refugee, so you're seeking amnesty, so you come and you run through your reasons why you think you should be given refugee status. We normally think that everyone crossing the border, that's just what happens and should happen without a second thought, without, without a question. And now we, of what I'm saying, now turning back to you, what you're saying is that pretty much has been abandoned, that the whole effort to even figure out who's coming in, it's, it's just a wide open border. Wide open, uh, no accountability, no, uh, there's no checks of anybody, no one is being vetted properly to come in here. And so think about the, the bigger picture. If you and I know that this border is wide open, so does the terror, so do the terrorists. And so the Taliban is in Mexico. ISIS, they are there. They've been working with the cartels. They have communities established in, in that country and they're trying to infiltrate their people in here. And we know that their reason to come here is a very different one than the other people that are. But that's still the element of, of national security and public safety. The last thing we want to see is an attack on our, on our nation because we had the border wide open and we didn't secure it. Yet we go 6,000 miles away at the blink of an eye to secure someone else's. Well, let's hope we don't really do that. But yeah, you're talking about Ukraine? Or, yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Whole other topic. Well, so back to the border. I just think for many Americans, if you don't live in Texas, people think it's just kind of a Republican talking point. No. It's, it is a, a real honest to goodness. This is our country. Borders are like the line, your property line around your house. And, and, and what basically what we've been experiencing is there's just no enforcement at all. So you're running for land commissioner, uh, which is uh, in Texas. I did discover in getting ready for the uh, thing, the event last night, that office was created even before the governor's office was. Right. It's the first office created. Tech, the, um, it's actually called the General Land Office, and so you're the would be the commissioner of the General Land Office. Big uh, responsibility around the border. So up until now, under the previous uh, land commissioner, have we just been ignoring this issue or doing very little? I, I mean, has anything been happening? on the part of the general land office to fight for border protection? The quick answer is no, there, is, there was some action of late where the, the general land office and commissioner got together with our governor and they, they, did, they did build uh, a few yards of the wall on state yeah. land. Um, I have a little bit of issues with that as to where we want to put the wall um, because there's 13 million acres of state land owned by the state of Texas and I'm going to concentrate first on the ones that touch the border but also the land of the state that is adjacent to that of the private landowners. Well, I, come, I just came back from Kenny County and talked to the ranchers, the landowners, they're fed up. They're fed up with the traffic coming through there. And let me give you a couple of, of uh, instances of what I just heard from the ranchers himself. One of them was attacked as he drove on his ranch and he saw a body on the road thinking it was a dead illegal alien. He gets off with his rifle and it happens to be an illegal alien faking to be death with brass oh. knuckles, starts punching them. Four other illegal aliens jump out. They start beating him up. They take his truck. The landowner lets off some rounds off of his rifle to scare him. They jump out of the truck and flee out into the brush. This is what's happening at our border on this a daily basis. This is in America. In America. 
This is what uh, our landowners have to do. They're afraid. They're, uh, they're having to put up with this type of activity, and the state is doing nothing to defend them. The land, General Land Office is here to defend Texas, defend Texas land, and defend private property owners as well, and that's what I'll do. I have to tell you, on that subject, I, I, um, I've had the thought, every time we have elections, you hear almost every Republican saying, this is terrible, we need secure borders. So it has occurred to me that once people get into office, they kind of become the part of the governing cabal. And so maybe they know we have a problem with the border. It's really kind of bad at the border. We should be doing something at the border, but they don't embarrass somebody else who maybe has that responsibility. I mean, certainly our current governor does, and certainly our president does. Um, but isn't there a need for a bully pulpit use of the land commissioner's job? Well, uh, I might not call myself and go as far as call myself a bully, but I'll tell you what I bring. I bring a lot of experience in my career, not just as a law enforcement officer, but as a diplomat. And I know how to talk to people and bring people together. I did things in my diplomatic assignments in Mexico and Europe that had never been done before. And I'm looking forward to doing that with this office. And absolutely, it means knocking down, uh, knocking on, not knocking down doors, but knocking on doors <laughs> of other officials that might not be, uh, if my jurisdiction is not there within the general land office, I will find out who has that jurisdiction because that's what I did in my career. I worked with the FBI, I worked with DEA and all these law enforcement agencies just like they worked with me when I had the jurisdictions. I'm, I'm looking forward to bringing that uh, information to them and actually briefing them myself because you're getting somebody that has been on the ground and knows the issue. There's a lot of elected officials that sit in these uh, committee rooms that have absolutely no idea what is going on and don't understand the lingo of what's happening when it comes to that type of enforcement. Absolutely, okay. Uh, if you're just tuning in on radio, we're speaking to Victor Avila. He is a candidate for in the great state of Texas for a statewide office in his Texas Land Commissioner. And uh, for just for our radio listeners, your website is? Uh, VictorAvilaTX.com, VictorAvilaTX.com. V-I-C-T-O-R-A-V-I-L-A-T-X.com. Because I, if you're listening on radio, I want to encourage you to look up this candidate. It's a great candidate. I want to make sure and get that in before they, they go off their little break on the radio. Um, so this, beside, to me, I think to most Texans, if you have any knowledge of the uh, Texas Land Commission, you're just thinking, oh, good, someone who cares about the border. Other things are part of the job, too. Uh, for example, some of your job relates to school funding. And can you quickly tell how that works and how that, what responsibility your office would have for that? Absolutely. This office is, is resources are from, come from our uh, natural oil and gas resources and mineral rights that we drill. And uh, we, we gain those resources and we put those funds into several funds. The biggest fund is a permanent school fund where we send about a billion dollars down to our school systems, uh, universities and uh, independent school districts. But I have a big problem with the critical race theory that's being taught at a lot of these school districts where they just will not abide by what the parents want, what Texans want and Texans values that I share with them. Why should the state of Texas continue to fund them and send them this money? So the number one thing I get uh, pushback is that, Victor, you can't do anything about the money. If this is a pass-through office. That money has been legislatively appropriated, and you have to let it go. Well, I'm not going to be a land commissioner that's painted on the wall. I will stand in front of those legislators. I will stand wherever in the process that I have to do to slow down that money and bring attention to these school districts, like the Dallas Independent School District. And it's not just critical race theory. Uh, if the governor tells them they don't have to wear a mask, they ignore that too. They do whatever they want. Right. They but do. you get their attention when you stop. The money stops flowing to their direction. 
Yeah, you were part of the fight, and now this, we can't go in deeply into it, but you were part of the fight in the area where you live, uh, outside of Dallas, where there were two or three candidates for school board yes. who were running not only on this issue, but large on this issue of kind of critical race theory, how race is talked about and taught in the schools. And I, honestly, you were a big, a big part of having a victory for the people who replace incumbent school board officers who went along with or maybe even instigated critical race theory teaching. And you, I, I, I love to briefly tell about that, how you got involved. Yeah, well, in. I, was, I was probably the first one to, to, uh, to shout out the problem because I was part of the district diversity council that was created to implement the critical race theory. But the reason I was selected is because of my last name. They assumed, well, Victor's a Hispanic, he's gotta be a liberal and think like us. And they got it very wrong with me. What they got is a very true conservative with conservative values that I disagreed with the plan that they tried to implement. Remember the, the cultural competency action plan. So um, I did, I yelled out, I, uh, I, I spoke up and I started fighting and I got called the names. I got called a racist. I got called a traitor uh, for all these issues. But the community came together. The community uh, then um, were able to then elect officials to, um, uh, to the school board and really turn the board around. And, and be, we will now, probably after this election, make it a, a full conservative school board in uh, South Lake, Texas. I love that. And again, I'm sorry for our listeners. I'm squirming with my earpiece. Okay, got it back. Okay, so I mean, I love that point you made it last night too. People assume by your last name, oh, he's one of us. He'll be one of the left-wing critical race theory cheering it on. Uh, and lo and behold, they discovered you actually think like a patriot. Seriously. Like well, an I'm an American first. And that doesn't mean anything that ignoring my heritage. I love my heritage and, and that's separate from that. But I'm an American first and I'm an American at heart. And I fought for this country. I almost died for it. My partner did give up his life for it. And um, I have that passion, a lot of that I do. And I'm always reminded of the anniversary that, and I get chills that I tell you, that my passion here is also part of it. Jaime Zapata is inside of me to be able to continue to fight back to, you need someone in there that is gonna question a lot of things, that's gonna be a fighter. Um, I'm battle tested and you're gonna, the, the people of Texas are gonna get uh, a, a person that's gonna, what I call a change agent. And I'm looking forward to doing that. Plus I wanna bring law and order back to this office and I want the trust of the people to be back in government that in fact you can elect an individual that's gonna actually represent the people and have the state of Texas first. Love that. We are about time for this, but so for our listeners, everyone, this is Victor Avila. He's running in the great state of Texas statewide primary, uh, and his website is Victor V I C T O R Avila A V I L A T X dot com com dot com. Um, and also in Texas, if you're listening in Texas, we have primary. The actual primary date is March first. Uh, which is next week, but we have early voting still ongoing this week. And this is a, you know, in the if you get concerned about border security, uh, this is a race to, to look at, to understand who your choices are and, and consider who you might want to support. I will say I read something about at the last election cycle, less than 20% of Texas voters even voted in this race. I think they don't know about the job. And once it just a little bit of knowledge makes me realize, wow, I really do care about that. So last shot about your campaign, we got to roll. Uh, we've had incredible momentum the last month. Uh, we have a lot of support. Thank you for all the donations that come in. It's really a grassroots effort and we've done a lot uh, with what we had. And, uh, but I'll share this with you. And you talk about the votes. Down in the valley, and I'll be uh, on the border at the end of the, uh, this week, 
uh, they're seeing record numbers come out at the Republican side of the primary because they have had enough. And these are predominantly Hispanic people down at the border that said, we've had about enough. We want law and order. We want to take control back of our border and our state. I love that. And actually, I think this has been a a sad but a great opportunity in this first year of the Biden administration for people to see what lawlessness looks like. That's right. When you ban the border, uh, it, it's pure chaos. Richard Avila, thanks for coming in and joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Debbie. Great to see you, sir. Okay, for our happy radio listeners, I want to mention, because you can't uh, see this, I want to tell you, if you're interested in the show at all, I'll tell you the name again. Uh, the name of the show is America Can We Talk? My name is Debbie Georgiatis. The website is americacanwetalk.org. I urge you to go to that website. And at that website, you can subscribe to our newsletter, our free once-weekly newsletter. You can join America Can We Talk for a mere $50 a year. You ought to think about doing that, supporting this show. Um, and you can read all of our past blog posts. We have fabulous, endless, great blog posts going. Uh, we have the past interviews, past shows, very well-organized website. Love to have you visit that website. Also, for our radio listeners, another way you can support this show is if you're interested in any nice quality, well, reasonably priced, high quality items for your home, such as pillows, robes, slippers, sheets, bath towels, I urge you to go to the website mypillow.com, mypillow.com. And when you go there, you'll see this is the um, organization mypillow.com, founded by Mike Lindell. And this is now the products he makes at MyPillow.com are available online. And you can take your time sitting at home in your pajamas, go to that website, see what you might want to order for yourself. And I urge you to do that. When you do choose some items you may wish to purchase, you can get to the end of your order online. And at the promo code ending, you can put in the words Debbie G, D-E-B-B-I-E-G, Debbie G. And you'll get everything you have chosen for up to 66% off. You get products, great quality products delivered to your home. I get a small payment out of that. It helps keep this show rolling. And I can promise you I've only recommended products my husband and I have personally purchased. We can tell you they are rock star level, great quality, high quality products, reasonable prices. Go to MyPillow.com, put in the promo code Debbie G. And also for our radio listeners, you are zipping off for a three minute break. Do not change that channel. Come back after your three minute break and we'll have more of America Can We Talk and I look forward to talking to you after your break. For everyone else online still watching, and thank you so much for watching, uh, I want to turn to talk to a story that I, um, I don't like to make fun of people who act like idiots. I actually really don't. But I was going to mention Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, once in a while, you just got to do it. And the reason I really want to do it, I have a serious point to make about this before I tell you this, show you this kind of funny video. So AOC, Okay, let me remind you yesterday, the, the little story I told you about George Washington and the enormous things he did of serious consequence, truly risking his life and limb in danger for America when he was 21 years old. Now we'll fast forward to AOC. She is one of 435 members of Congress, one of 435, and she put this video of herself. She's telling people, here's how I de-stress. She put this video out on TikTok. Play the video, please, Mr. Becker. Do we have AOC? No. I guess we don't have AOC. Okay, we do have AOC. Ready when you are. <laughs> okay. Five, four. Good job, good job. Oh. 
Am I supposed to do it again? Yeah, you're supposed to keep doing it. Really? Yeah. How long? <laughs> like okay. multiple sets. Okay, <sighs> okay, you can cut you her can. off. I just want to point this out. I know young people think that you put, they put everything about their life out on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram. What she's doing there, she put this out as, to be entertaining, to talk about what she does to de-stress. So she's got a big bowl of water, a really big kitchen bowl full of water with tons of ice in it. And then, and then when it's all really ice cold, she pulls the ice out and then the, this de-stressor says she, if she sticks her face in cold water and her boyfriend's there cheering her on, good job, good job, honey, sticking your face in cold water. And then she takes it out and then she pout, you know, dries her face off and then he's like, oh no, many times in a row, honey, you gotta do this. And that's what she does. I mean, she actually does it a bunch of times in a row and she even says, you saw that one comment that was on the TikTok posting, uh, I feel like I get brain freeze. Well, I think she's actually had brain freeze like ever since she ran, started running for office. It's just, just what she stands for pushes, absolutely absurd. I am not saying that young people like her shouldn't put things out like that because, you know, young people, that they use social media, they put pretty goofy things out. But I do want to contrast and actually think about the level of maturity of a 31 or however old she is, 33-year-old woman, sticking her face in a bucket of cold water for the world to see on TikTok and then and having her boyfriend coach her as though she's doing something relevant. She's sticking her face in cold water. And then contrast it, just think for a moment about what George Washington was doing when he was 21. Literally, as I told the story yesterday, risking his life and limb, traveling over, you know, dangerous area, just in order to bring a message from the British colonel, uh, the British leader at the fort in Virginia to the French leader. Uh, he was actually helping to communicate between warring forces, the British and the French, on American soil, obviously prior to 1776. I think it was like 1754 or something like that. So, the, I mean, the unseriousness of a leader like that. And the second point I make about AOC is she was given, she gave an interview recently to The Hill in which she was describing, you know, what it's like to be in Congress and what she does, what she believes in, blah, blah. Well, in the course of that interview, she actually described the United States Congress, which when you think about what the founders did in trying to create a country dedicated to the notions of the Declaration of Independence, this notion that of all of world history, where virtually everyone lived under tyranny, lived under monarchs, lived under dictators, had no say in their governance at all, had no power to control their lives, protect themselves, protect their future. They lived under the governance of some sort of monolithic, all-controlling government. And in America, the founder said, you know what, we're gonna do something better. We're gonna do better here in America. We're gonna found a country, as the Declaration recites, premise on the idea that all men are created equal, men and women, all endowed by their creator, by God, not by the government, with, their, with inalienable rights, rights that no one can take away from them. They have those rights even when they live under tyranny, they actually have those rights. They just can't express them. But the idea of declaration, including, of course, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. So they created this beautiful concept of a Congress, a House, and a Senate, and then the, and the three branches of government, all that they did to make America stable and committed to the freedom of the individual. And there are only 435 people get to serve in that Congress. And Miss Face in Cold Water is one of them. It is the most unserious but back to the interview so on the hill in the hill she is um lamenting how she got to congress she and her you know gang of four the, the quad the squad thought that they would get there and they would just kind of take charge i mean they got there hey man you know we showed up and so 
she's griping. She actually referred to Congress as a, I don't say bad words on this show, but starts with S-H and rhymes with fit. A, you know, S-H show. She called that Congress. This robust, this, you know, beautiful uh, structure of government designed to preserve freedom. She called it a, you know, S-H show. And then she went on to lament how, you know, Biden is weak. He ought to be, ought to be using his executive authority. He ought to just wave his wand and take away all the student debt tomorrow. I mean, just the, you know, just the kind of uh, make everything perfect for everybody. No thought about policy consequences, cost, who, you know, nothing is actually free. So if you waive all of the debt that these kids have to, for their college loans, you know, it's not like, there's just no consequence. There is a consequence because money isn't paid back. They're supposed to be paid back. I mean, there's always a consequence. So she's griping about Biden. He ought to do more, snap, snap, snap his fingers. She's griping about the leadership of the Democrat party because they actually think about things. I mean, she just, she actually arrived in Congress, it sounds from the interview, as though she thought once she and her young socialist buddies locked arms and, and made themselves into the squad that they were gonna show up and just like the Marxists of, of days of yore, they're gonna show up, take charge, make things happen. So she's griping about how she wanted to force Congress to vote on both the infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better uh, at the same time. She wanted to try to force the party to lock those two bills so that you couldn't get one without the other. She's trying to get the Build Back Better fantasy land, utopia level foolishness spending that that we can't afford no one thinks we can afford full of green new deal uh tyranny she tried to force congress to pass those two bills together as you likely know infrastructure got through itself full of a, a great deal of fluff but infrastructure got through and then build back better is stalled at the moment so she's griping this reporter how they should just listen to me i can't and they i i said they should do this they should do this i'm getting the notion not just that this isn't really to pick on alexandria ocasio-cortez she is the product of the education system that's developed in America. She is the product of the mindset of people that now this kind of thinking is in lower school, young school, high school, college, grad school. This notion that if only the really, really nice Marxists or socialists could be in control of the world, or at least of the country, everything would be free, it'd be so wonderful. Can't you see, it'd be so cool. I mean, all these rich people have to send in their money, and then we can spread it around, we can fix everything. I mean, just juvenile, I mean, I was saying earlier today, talking to a friend saying, it's like a junior high schooler, you know, put in charge of the country. And my friend said, no, it's actually like more like a fourth grader. I mean, this simple-minded mentality bred into her, taught to her by America's educational institutions that have legitimized and normalized a system of socialism that has never worked in one country on the planet Earth since time began. Please let me repeat that. Socialism, which has never worked in any country on the planet Earth since the idea was developed. And she's up there thinking, well, I went through college and I learned socialism and I, everything should be free and the government should fix everything. And she got to Washington along with the other squad members thinking that all she had to do was show up and pronounce her wisdom and everything will be fixed. And, and honestly, it just, it's excruciating. It'd be one thing if she were a fourth grader or a junior high school student, you could say, well, fortunately she has years ahead before she ever can figure out life. But she's griping because she gets to Washington and all these people don't just you know, jump up to do what she says. And so I, I, I linked her interview or the 
story about her interview uh, on our website. You, everything I'm talking about today, all the stories, all the links are on our website, americacanwetalk.org. americacanwetalk.org. You can go to that website, you can read the stories for yourself. But I'm telling you this because you have to think about, contrast George Washington, age 21, willing to lead a group over two sets of mountains in the middle of winter in the snow on horseback and walking to try to help convey a message from the British to the French and then take the answer back from the French to the British. And this was a hardship and AOC has to stick her face in cold water because she's so stressed. And she's stressed because she's aggravated because she thought, as many simple-minded socialists do, you just if you just had power, you could fix everything. And these idiotic, more experienced, more worldly, more aware, more, more aware of historical perspective, economic reality, you know, these actual small number of grown-ups in Washington don't actually just salute to her and let her do what she wants. That's what she's upset about. It's pathetic. Okay, I want to just talk briefly about, uh, about New York Times and the CDC. We talk in the show a lot about how the CDC, with Center for Disease Control, you know, has a job, has, their job is to, you know, among many things, they, they gather data, they keep a massive um, website with data Americans can access, they put out policy, uh, they put information about, um, you know, their, um, what, how, what diseases are, are coming around, what treatments are f being found effective. I mean, there, it's, a, it's a wealth of information, national database, uh, and information base and public uh, service announcement kind of uh, thing they do. So CDC, uh, people noticed recently that a lot of COVID data, a lot of COVID related data was missing from the website, just not there, not being posted. And so people, and you know, obviously at this point, COVID is very controversial. Many Americans do not wish to be forced to take the vaccines. They read data available to them about what kinds of uh, after effects vaccines have had, how people have been killed and harmed by the vaccines, and they don't like them very much. And so, you know, you have this CDC getting public pushback. I'm going to guess the most they have ever received for any disease in American history because the COVID policy created by Dr. Fauci and the medical establishment in Washington and the FDA and the CDC and the NIH, that has been the most aggressive and repressive and controlling policy ever to come out of Washington about any disease. It has been a take over Washington, take over all these branches of all these uh, federal agencies, take over the medical establishment, take over the state medical boards, unbelievable monolithic policy exuding out of Washington so that policy has been, you know, the more and more people read facts and they hear from doctors who provide other information, such as that virtually everyone uh, gets over COVID without a serious problem. We have 99.9% .9 recovery rate for almost everyone. We have very effective treatments. We have very dangerous uh, information out of the CDC um, that, that or information out of the CDC showing the danger a lot of the vaccines. And so you have the most politicized disease uh, episode in American history and the CDC is, is receiving pushback. People don't like it very much. And then you had, of course, a big episode where Pfizer was asked uh, as a response, uh, asked in a Freedom Information Act thing to, to, to provide data about the testing they did on their own vaccines, now in the arms of millions and the bodies of millions of Americans. And they asked, Pfizer actually asked, along with the CDC backing them up, asked the judge if they could withhold giving that information out for, and it turned out to be 57 years. 
They want to hide the information about their own testing of the safety of the vaccines they had certified as safe, they had put out in the world. They want to withhold that information for, 50, for 57 years. And finally, some reasonable judge say, we're not doing, no, no, actually by end of October, that's when you're gonna get it out. So now we turn back to the story. So CDC, people are noticing, it, CDC is admitting it's withholding large portions of COVID data large portions of COVID data, including on the vaccine boosters, because, says the CDC, it fears the information could be misinterpreted. To quote exactly, Kristen Nordland, Kristen Nordland, CDC spokeswoman, said the reason for the slow release of data is, you know, well, it's not really quite ready for prime time, and, you know, um, we want to make sure it's accurate, you know, and then she finally said, well, actually, another reason is the data could be misinterpreted by the public. Misinterpreted. Like the public might actually see the data they have about the impact of the vaccines, the impact of the, booster, the boosters, how they did in testing, what the data show about how safe or not safe the vaccines and the boosters were. So CDC's answer, instead of putting out the truth, is to just kind of stop reporting it, just stop putting it out there. And even the New York Times, which heaven knows is always on the side, the anti-American left, always on the side of big government, always on the side of Anthony Fauci, CDC, uh, FDA, NIH, anything the government does, you know, normally speaking, the New York Times is down with whatever the government wants to do, defends it to the hilt. Even the New York Times ran a lengthy article. And again, this is on our website. You can read it at our website yourself. The website again is americacanwetalk.org and on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links. The article is called the CDC isn't publishing large portions of the COVID data it collects. And so for the New York Times to actually run this story, they're kind of saying, I mean, they're signaling the CDC, you gotta be kidding me. You, you have to be kidding. I'll tell you something else. Uh, uh, we're gonna talk more about this story, but you know, the whole concept of whether the government in the form of the CDC should have the right to say to the American people, well, we can't really tell you the truth about the efficacy of the testing of the vaccines and the boosters. We can't really tell you that because you know it might be, you might misunderstand. You might draw wrong conclusions. You might not like it very much. And so for them to say that, I want you to think about the pomposity, the absurdness, absurdity of the idea that they are paid by your tax dollars, everything they do is funded by your tax dollars, and they're saying now that we have the data that show a lot about the vaccines and the impact they've had on people, you know, we, we don't think you should see this. It is a, a level of just arrogance and it's the idea of that kind of, you know, we're the government. We don't, you don't ask us for information. We decide what you should know and then we'll let you know what you should know. And otherwise, you don't get to know. And when you think about that fact, compounded with the fact that the same government through the CDC, Fauci, NIH, the, the whole slew of them have been pushing the vaccines, many advocating for the vaccines and the idea of a vaccine passport. Like pretty soon you're gonna have to show with a, some kind of either a, a digital passport in your phone or a physical document. You're gonna have to show if you're up to date in your vaccines and if you're not, you might not be able to travel, might not be able to get on an airplane, might not be able to go to a restaurant. The same government that won't tell you how safe the, or not these vaccines are hiding data from you 
is the same government telling you, we're going to force you to take this. Yeah, I think people have had about enough of this. And this is part of what I talked earlier about the kind of message, the larger, broader message of the truckers. It is, you, you, you don't get to do that in America. You don't get to. You are responsible to the people. And I'll tell you this very, very quick story. I remember talking to my mother, um, who was a wonderful human being. Um, but my mother, years and years ago, obviously, uh, there was a, the Warren Commission. And the Warren Commission looked into the assassination of President Kennedy. And after the Warren Commission came out, my mom had made the point that, you know, well, they, they uh, or in fact, many people were making the point, it seemed a little bit like the Warren Commission didn't actually tell the whole story. They, they decided certain information wasn't uh, wise to release to the public, that the public really didn't need to know. It'd be better for the public not to know. So I don't know if that's true. I, I believe it is true that they withheld some information. But the point is, my conversation with my mother, she said, well, you know, the people can't handle all, all these different things. They just can't handle them sometimes. I, I remember as a kid, I mean, however old I was at that time, you know, as a kid saying, they don't get to decide that. I mean, I mean, even then, to a child, it's obvious. The government forcing, you know, at the time, the American people are entitled to know the whole story, whatever it is. And as of the vaccines, the American people are entitled to know the data, even if it causes them to rebel against the vaccines, which is obviously what the CDC is worried about. The, the more truth people see, the more data they see, well, obviously they're worried. People are turning against the vaccines. So I'm going to guess the data they're withholding isn't very good. We'll come back and re revisit this. One last story for today. I talk, called the school board hypocrisy on video. I have to tell you people, um, this whole thing of parents showing up at school boards and trying to speak up about COVID policy, this is part of this kind of renewal of the spirit of America. This is, this is you know, red flag, uh, you know, American apple pie, Main Street, mainstream America, parents involved in the kids' school. This is how it's supposed to be. This is not, these parents showing up at schools are not right-wing crazies, they're not conspiracy. These are mainstream, mainstream, apple pie, mom and dad America showing up at school boards and saying, we actually want to know why you're doing this. Are you teaching this? Why do my kids have to have a mask? And so, uh, and they're pushing back and the school boards have had the attitude, you, you don't get to ask us that. I mean, you can't hassle us that way. So I want to play a couple clips. Uh, one which was just a honestly just kind of amazingly interesting uh this was a guy there was a dad who went to speak at a school board and he is actually from bosnia and he came to america as a child and in this storyline basically he's always at the school board at meeting and the parents or other parents are there and he's talking and he's talking to the school board and i don't know if you're able to hear the language it wasn't super clear um, on the video but i want to ask you uh, i want to ask mr becker to play it and then we'll talk about what this dad is saying and started out in fifth grade. I was always the person that stands up for my principles. Um, so I'm starting to teach my child to do the same thing. And I'm trying to tell her. Okay, hey, these are school board from? members standing up. School board members act like they can leave. Listen. Any more minutes. If people want to be vaccinated, you don't mind There's absolutely no reason for this. None. Thank you. I have to say one more thing, and it's simple. We all want to be civil. Yes. And we all want to do this the right way. 
But I'm telling you, if you do not stop complying, you will lose yes. everything. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. Okay, we gotta cut him off because that's another one I want to do. Let's cut him off. Okay, so this is a guy from Bosnia, and he was not the greatest sound. I think he probably had it, but it wasn't the greatest sound. But the gist of what this dad is saying is, I came to America in fifth grade. I love this country. My favorite subject is civics. And he's warning about what he saw, repression that happened to him and his family, his life in Bosnia, warning about the attitude of the school district, which is saying, your kids are going to wear masks whether you like it or not. And he's saying, no, actually, we're going to stand up. So he's an immigrant from Bosnia warning about creeping authoritarianism. The notion that this is exactly what the truckers are saying. The Canadian truckers and the truckers here, creeping authoritarianism. The notion that because we're in power, it's the same thing the CDC is saying. Because we're in power, we'll tell you what you're allowed to know and allowed to do. So this guy shows up. You saw those two school board members getting up, standing up, kind of like, we don't have to listen to this. You can't tell us we have to listen to this. And, the, and um, actually, so they tried to stand up and call what they said, they, the school board members, we're going to have a closed session. I'm not listening to you know, rabble rousing anymore. And you can see the parents, they said, no, no, sit down, sit down. What he closed out, what he said was, this, this dad from Bosnia who's so concerned at what's happening now in America, he talked about, he said, when he came, he came here in fifth grade, loves our constitution, fell in love with the country, favorite subject was civics, and you have to say, I want to say one more thing. And he was saying at the end, but as I say, the sound wasn't so great. And it's simple. We all want to be civil, and we all want to do this the right way. But I'm telling you, he's talking to the parents, if you do not stop complying, you will lose everything you have. He's right. What you see in the attitude of school boards around the country, you, they're, being, they're saying to parents, you comply and shut up. And we, you do what we say, and you don't get to question us. And you have even the federal government and Merrick Garland, our U.S. attorney, going along with this attitude. These pesky parents have no right to control what their kids are taught or how they're taught or anything about school because we have school boards and they rule. And I'm telling you, this is the healthiest movement to come to America in a long time. Another one, which is really uh, also entertaining, uh, this is a, a person, um, uh, another school board meeting in which the... Uh, President of the school board uh, threw a tantrum. I will let uh, Mr. Becker play this quick clip and then we'll talk about it. We sat here last year and listened to you guys preach to us about Governor Northam's executive orders and how we must follow them. You guys remember that? We do. So here's the governor that comes into office, but yet you don't want to follow his orders. Why is that? Why is it different from the last year when we were here to this year? Two different governors? two different political parties. So we were supposed to follow it last year, but not this year. That makes no sense. Ms. Cass, you also yelled at me the last time I was here for taking off my mask, but here's a picture of you right here on Facebook with a crowd of people That's it. with no mask on. Uh, this Excuse is my me. time and I don't no. interrupt you. Here's another picture no. with you with a no mask on. I'm sorry, Ms. Vaught, you are done. If you are going to sit there and disparage a member of our school board, then you can sit down. Be able to say her piece. I've had to listen to people come and criticize me. People came here last and criticized you last year? Absolutely. And I couldn't do anything about it. 
Exactly. Well so people came here and they talked about your mask to your face. They say, they showed pictures of your family. They showed pictures of your. Yeah, they did worse. That doesn't make it right. No, it doesn't. That doesn't make it right, Jamie. You're right, but I had to say. Those are my. That's my family. That is all. Then fine. What do you think about our family? I am not. Okay. I'm done. Time is, time is up. 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 Time in Virginia is saying, or Maryland, I don't know where she is, some, and, uh, I don't know where she is, in Virginia, yeah. This mom is saying to the school board, well, you know, she's pointing out, A, what you're doing is political. You, you forced the governor, the mask mandate, we have a Democrat governor, Republican comes along and says, free the mask mandate, and all of a sudden we don't listen to the governor. But the second point in that little video from Radio, Radio I'll tell you, what happened was the mom is saying, here you are pushing mask mandates on my kids when the governor said no more mask mandates. And she holds up for the audience to see a picture on her cell phone of the president of that uh, ISD, that school board, president of the school board, a picture of herself. She put on Facebook, big crowd in the room, no mask on. She's saying, why is it you can do this, but my kids can't do this? The school board president is getting irate. She uses the language, sit there. You think you can sit there and disparage the school board? She's acting like she's a ruling class and how dare some parents show up and expose her for the fraud that she is. At the end, the school board president stomps off because she's saying, I can impose this on your kids, but you can't embarrass me. I got to tell you folks, we're gonna, the, for our radio listeners, are about out of time. I want to again remind you, my show is at americacanwetalk.org. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. Love to hear from you. Go to our website, check it out. Thank you for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. Talk to you next time. For the rest of our listeners online, we do at the end of every show, I tell you, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started today. Our first one was on truckers. It's not over yet. I'm telling you, it's not over in Canada. Snapshots are not full-length movies. A battle outcome is not a war outcome. We're only in a battle in Canada. War is so on. Canadian truckers appear at this snapshot in time to have lost and Trudeau tyranny to have won. Yet, Convoy was about love of freedom in Canada. No amount of lies can make it about Nazism, which they, the left tried to do, and it was obviously transparently foolish and false attack. Vaccination rates are high in Canada, and data says the pandemic is over, but emergency powers to impose vaccine mandates are still warranted. It's going to sink in, people. The Canadians are going to figure this out. Arrest and solitary confinement for an immigrant pastor who also objects to mandates. Canadians' collective conscience supports all of this? I do not think so. And now, 38,000 USA truckers have taken up the mantle with a convoy to D.C. Truckers are not really only about protesting vaccine mandates. They're about we the people standing up to obvious abuse of power by a dishonest ruling class. The cause of freedom has not been defeated. And on AOC de-stressor, AOC released a TikTok video of her face in ice water as a de-stressor from Congress pressures. Leftist sycophants will call it hip and cool and real and mock boomers for criticizing it. AOC stands for the leftist agenda simplified. Everything in life should be free right now. And I just, I can't urge you strong enough to think about this. Brought, she brought that attitude to Washington because of the kind of schooling she got. What she was taught about Marxism. Everything can be free right now. 
Compare AOC's dresses to George Washington's at age 21 as a major in the colonel and the colonial army and with put your life at risk assignments. America's cause of freedom is serious and exceptional in all of human history. Such a serious and exceptional cause requires serious and mature leadership, not mist face in water. Congress is filled with incumbents of both parties who need to be replaced by people who understand America's unique greatness. And on even the New York Times scoring CDC secrecy, even the New York Times felt compelled to report on CDC's unwillingness to share vaccine data. CDC justifies withholding data because the public may misinterpret it, and CDC sought to prevent public disclosure of vaccine trial data for 75 years. Actually, I think it's 57. Either way is a lot. Anyone with an ounce of common sense understands the reason for the CDC's position. The data do not support the official assurance that the vaccines are safe and effective. Data cannot be forever suppressed. The New York Times is aware it has been complicit in suppression. That's why they're willing to run the story now. Stench of fraud is in the air. Health authorities are not building public confidence. The story of vaccine safety and efficacy is not over. And finally, school board meeting School boards, meaning the people, Bosnian immigrant parent warns, do not submit to mask mandates. School board president runs away when presented with a photo of her unmasked, of her unmasked, while she and the rest of the school board impose mask mandates on children. Ruling class disdain for the masses is truly systemic and must be rooted out. Parents in general and moms in particular, and largely without regard to political affiliation, are proving to be an extraordinary force for upending and replacing the ruling class at every level of governance. Relearning freedom and the power of we the people in America is a beautiful thing. And that's my show for today. Very quickly, I'll tell you tomorrow, which is Thursday, we normally have in-studio audience. We have a pre-recorded fabulous interview with Pastor Brunson, who was the pastor, the American Christian pastor living in the country of Turkey, imprisoned for two years uh, by the Turkish authorities. Uh, he was here in studio. We have recorded the interview. I'm playing that tomorrow for the Thursday time slot uh, with a bit of my own commentary about that. So tune in tomorrow and every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? <laughs>